The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's Western Conference semifinal victory over FC Dallas, and then we will preview the road trip to LAFC and then cover a couple of other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I am Jeremiah Bentley, and I am slightly tired after that <laughs> game last night. And it's not necessarily just the game last night, but like the game, the excitement, the post game, the not wanting to go to bed and read everything on Twitter. And I was very happy that today was a work from home today because I was not my best self for sure. Also, like getting my brain to calm down enough to actually go to sleep afterwards, yes. too. Like, yeah, the combination of all those things. I, I think this one was less hard on me than the last game just because, like, being in the sun for the entire game last time and for 120 minutes, it, like, uh, put my body through the ringer physically and then also the game put me through the ringer emotionally and spiritually. And so this one was slightly less stressful, but still pretty tense at times and uh, a lot of uh, expending of energy at either celebrating or worrying at various points in the game. Yeah, do you feel like this post game was more joyful than the last one? I feel like the last was last was just kind of a relief. Well, we didn't even stick around after the last one. We were just kind of emotionally drained and wiped. Yeah, this one was definitely more celebratory. The last one, it was like it's more like celebrating surviving something, and this one felt like actually celebrating something that you're happy about. I love it. Do you want to talk about our day a little bit? We met up, we met up at Hop Squad a couple hours before the game. Yeah, we got we like just we got a, a lot of listener interaction in in this pregame, didn't we? Just randomly bumped into some folks at Hop Squad, had some folks come find us um, in the stadium. We met up with we met up with Jana, and uh, and it was her birthday, so we got to exchange happy birthday wishes to each other. Uh, but it was a great great getting to chat with them, and then saw some other friends and listeners over on the other side of the stadium as we kind of made a laugh and we're just talking to people that we knew. Um, but it was. Good to kind of keep my mind occupied during the pregame there because like I I stayed busy throughout the day. Um, we got to take my my mom really wanted to see a moon tower like a real moon tower in person. She had never seen one before, and so the night before we went to dinner somewhere on the east side, and I was like, hey, there's a few close. Let's go drive by and check them out. And so she got to check that off her list. And then the next day, because we were talking about moon towers, we found. Dazed and Confused streaming on Amazon and got to show them Dazed and Confused for the first time. Oh, um, really? They hadn't they hadn't seen it? No, they had never they had never seen it. I haven't seen it in a while. Does it hold up pretty well? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really good. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, just kind of staying busy throughout the day was very, very helpful. And then about an hour before as we're like getting ready and getting our game day clothes on and about to leave the house, that's when it like I got a little bit shaky and a little bit nervous and the butterflies started hitting and then we get to hop squad and I can again, distract myself a little and then making that lap around the stadium, distract myself a little, finally get back up to the seats, meet back up with Ashley and my parents. And then I sat down in the seats about five to 10 minutes before kickoff and just like inexplicably, I just like felt peaceful. I was like, I feel okay about this. Like, I think this is going to be okay. We're going to be okay. 
<laughs> and I was right. I don't, I don't know that I had any real reason to be right, but for some reason I just like decided to just like let myself enjoy the ride. And I did. And it was great. Yeah. It was a, it was a great ride to enjoy, man. And the, um, the supporters were there super early, especially I mean, everybody was there early, but the supporters were there like super early, like hours before, you know, the March was early. They were loud. They were keyed up. Like, Taylor Twelman, who had been there the week before, right, for the previous match, talked about sort of the difference in uh, the approach of the fans. Like, there seems to be this anxiety that we talked about even built up, like, among the stadium itself the week before, and that it was just, like, this party in the stands this time. And I don't know that I've ever heard this stadium louder than it was from first kick to last kick uh, on Sunday. Yeah, it's like it, last week you think it reached a point where you didn't think it could be louder or more energetic, and then it just was again. It's it's amazing. But yeah, the uh, South End stands there. It was like a more – I think they needed to be in there a little bit earlier because of the more like manual TIFO process that was going on. Right. They needed participation from more people to actually unfurl it. Um, but what a feat that is to get that TIFO done in six days – that's amazing. Like for those of you who don't know what the process is of doing this TIFO, I used to see them on TV and never really knew how you did it or how they worked, but you sew together all these pieces of canvas. I think it's canvas that they use, but then, so you have to cut and sew all these pieces together to make it big enough. They'll then grid it out and, and put like the lines on there. And then essentially at that, from that point, it's like paint by numbers. And so any idiot like myself can go in there and somebody who knows what's going on can just say like, you see this block here, paint it black and you can go in and do it. So it's not difficult, like from an artistic skill wise, once you get to that part of it, but it still takes a lot of time and a lot of people hours to actually get it done. And so there are folks like leaving work early and then going up to the stadium to work on it and working on it until the wee hours of the morning all week this was happening and we're able to get it done. This is a process that usually takes a few weeks, usually like two weeks is a pretty good turnaround and one of the really big ones that they they do. And so to get that one done in, in six days and for it to look as good as it did and just to be as effective as it was, it was really impressive. Yeah. I would definitely encourage people who, who haven't seen it to see it. And you're right. The, the unfurling, the different way of unfurling was really cool. And they had all the streamers that went basically from the bottom to the top alongside it. And like the confetti shower and stuff, so it's a really, it was a really impressive presentation overall uh, in the pregame to see all those things come together, knowing that it, it uh, right, they took almost, no, they had almost no time to do it. So I was really proud of what uh, folks got together and accomplished in a short amount of time. So whenever the starting lineup came out, I was kind of looking at it from top to bottom, and I was like, oh, this is the normal lineup looks like the regular 11 Danny's back in there and then got down to the bottom was like, Whoa, Musa Jite. All right, let's see let, Let's see what this looks like. But how did that make you feel whenever you saw Musa's name on there? I feel like Musa's had a pretty strong close of the season and I was interested to see like how Josh was going to um, approach it tactically. And it seemed like he might have a little bit of a different game plan if he was going to have Musa Jite starting and not have the constant running Maxi Aruti pressure show and I think we did see that right we saw a fairly different way of playing from Austin throughout this match what did you think about it going in yeah I mean I I, from what we've seen out of both of the strikers the last little stretch of games 
I think we've seen enough out of Musa for me to feel comfortable with him in the game. And then Maxi is not shown as much as uh, offensively anyway, as he did at certain stretches in the season. So those two things combined, I like didn't have m- much feeling about it either way. I was just like, all right, let's, let's hope Musa can show up today. Um, but as far as the tactical approach goes, this is Josh Wolf versus Nico Estevez. These guys were both assistant coaches under Greg Berhalter for the national team. And so they know how each other think about the game. They play pretty similarly, uh, not exactly the same. I think Berhalter is probably a little bit more like, I'm sorry, Wolf is a little bit more like what Berhalter used to do for the most part. And I think Estevez is more similar to what Berhalter is doing currently with the national team but still from the same school of thought as far as tactics go. And so it was, I was very curious to see what they were going to do. Austin threw a change up on him, didn't they? They kind of shook things up. And so ended up sitting a little bit deeper defensively and letting Dallas have the ball. And uh, I think it worked. I think Josh Wolf like nailed it on this one. Yeah, I think he did too. I want to, uh, this Brad Stuver quote, from the post-game press conference, it said, and because I'm curious if this is exactly what you saw, but you saw that we were playing with two defensive midfielders today and our wingers were kind of tucked inside a little bit, but kind of preventing the middles. Uh, you could tell that it frustrated them a little bit. They had to go around us and they didn't have an answer the first half and they couldn't break our line. So credit to the game plan and credit to for the guys for going out and nailing it, which I think is a beautiful summary from the keeper. Yeah, so last week I told listeners how to spot phonies by saying looking for people who say Austin FC p- play a double pivot. How, that's that's what I was going to ask about this, yeah. <laughs> right on cue, Austin FC actually played a double pivot this week. <laughs> and so I think the confusion comes because of the defensive shape. We always play a 4-4-2 in defense with little things that make it look maybe like 4-3-3 sometimes, but it's always Alex Ring slotting in beside Danny Pereira in the midfield defensively. In this game, he stayed back there whenever they were in offense. And so... He would stay back on that same level. He provided an extra option as Austin was playing out of the press, but then also was there as extra security when we had the ball, if we turned it over, that he could sit back there with Danny and and kind of prevent any quick transitions up the middle there. Um, Ring and Pereira were still both able to like flash into space to make little runs into the pocket or like if they played a pass into the striker into Drew UC, they could then follow it up for the give and go knowing that the other one of them who's on the other side could see them making that run and step back and kind of be the, the defensive option in that scenario. Um, they're still kind of working as a triangle though. So sometimes maybe Danny would step forward and ring would shift over and Drew UC would drop in a little bit. So they're still kind of operating in that same triangle, but it was just shifted back a little bit where ring was more times than not further back, like on the same level as Danny. And I, it opened up Danny to be able to move a little bit better. And I was really impressed with Danny's movement in this game as well. Just, um, passing the ball, like whenever he would play it out to the side or play it into a pocket when he's the only six, He's kind of stuck there. He can't really follow stuff too much. And in this one, he could make those little runs and move into space. And I thought it it gave Dallas problems by him uh, giving options as we move the ball over to the sides. Yeah, I mean, he's a creative player too. And that was a chance for him to to exhibit his creativity a little, t- t- creativity a little bit more. So 
that that was interesting in in, ter- in terms of like Austin kind of doing the things that that other clubs have done to them. I think outside of the first maybe three minutes, Austin never led in possession uh, in the match. Yeah, and then defensively, I think this this feeds into that lack of possession. But so generally, we press pretty often. Austin doesn't always press super hard every time, but more times than not, we're pressing up pretty high in a pretty high block. On this one, we were kind of sitting in a little bit. And so the forwards, instead of pressing up on the center backs, were really just taking away Quinone, the defensive midfielder. And then as the ball would go to the sides, they would shift over and kind of put a little bit of pressure. But really their main focus most of the time was covering up the middle of the field, not letting Quinone get on the ball. Then that next line, those midfielders were kind of blocking up that next line not letting them play, skip a line and play into the center there. And then the wings would press the fullback sometimes when they could, but they were not leaving people behind them. And so it was often Finley would push up onto their left back pretty often. But on the other side, because Tuomasi and um, and uh, Ariola were both on that right side, he didn't have uh, as much space to like just – vacant space behind him to leave. And so he was not pushing up as often as Finley was. And so they really were just like making sure to not let the ball get in behind them, which is often not the way we see them. Um, not the way they see them play. And FC Dallas just looked clueless. Like they did not know what to do with it. And I think it's, it's kind of similar to what, um, what the Red Bulls did to Austin. It's not the same tactic. It was looked very different tactically, but the same idea of, doing something tactically that this team was not expecting of you and had never seen you do before. And so when Red Bull played against us, they didn't just all out press us. They kind of waited until we got the ball over the side and they would press us and kind of trap us against the side. And so by throwing this change up to, to FC Dallas, they looked really clueless and did not know what to do. They had one shot in the entire first half and it was in the 45th minute. And I looked up uh, Jesus Ferreira I think had one touch in the box in the first half and really had pretty few touches in the first half at all. Yeah, overall, it was really strong. So we talked about um, Josh definitely won the... Wolf definitely won the tactical battle here, but uh, on lineup-wise, like Paxton Pomical was not in. Like, How much do you think that that affected Dallas? Is that a major factor or would it have been differently with him or does he add something that would have made a difference? I don't know that he's the guy that makes a difference in this setup. He's kind of, um, call is good in what Dallas normally likes to do, which is like, if we were to press up and they could break our pass, whenever you kind of split that first line and get to call and he can drive from there, that's when he's really dangerous. But in what we were doing, I don't know that call fixes it immediately. Maybe they could have figured it out eventually, but, um, they, they would have, they're, they're better with call on the field, but, I don't think this game looks much different with him on the field in the first half. And, and just overall in the first half, I feel like that has to be one of the strongest halves of soccer that Austin played all year. It was just Yeah, dominant. I tweeted this at halftime. Uh, I said, this is the best half of soccer Austin has ever played. <laughs> ever played, that's true. Ever, yeah, last, yeah. last year did not have a lot of strong candidates for the best half that we played. But yeah, they were, they were dominant and on the front foot. So you want to get a little bit into some of the game action? Yeah, so the uh, first goal comes 26 minutes in, and it honestly felt late, right? Like, Austin had some chances before. 
there was a chance like 80 seconds in that almost blew the roof off of it. If I remember right, 80 or 90 seconds in. Yeah, it was, was it Diego? Uh, Nick, Le- Nick Lima crossed it in and Diego finds it on the backside. And I think Hedges or Martinez, one of the center backs, clears it off the line. But it was, yeah, in the second minute of the game and we almost put one in and then have some other corners and some other chances that um, were really putting pressure on Dallas like right out of the gate. And I I loved the energy that they started the game with as well. Just it wasn't frantic. It was controlled, but putting a lot of pressure on them. And then whenever they had the ball, not letting them really do anything with it. Yeah, they did a really good job of keeping that defensive shape tight and um, and keeping Dallas playmakers down. Yeah, so when that goal finally comes, it's uh, 26-minute, like I said. It's immediately following a shout for handball. So uh, I think maybe Gallagher – no, maybe it was Lima or Finley. Somebody plays a low ball, and it hits Velasco's foot and bounces up and hits his hand. But I think because of kind of the new new outlook on the handball rule, I think it was fairly not given as a penalty there. Uh, But right after that, we get a corner – And so Austin in this game was often looking to play short um, or like play it into Lima at the top of the box and let him play it in or play it to Lima. And then he would play it back to Diego so he could cross it in from a better angle. Uh, This one, they actually play in directly and it takes a couple of slight little deflections through the box. But then Musajite is waiting on the backside to swing a foot at it and he hits the top of the the roof of the net with it as soon as he gets there. So I I thought Musajite had a fantastic game. Yeah, I think he did too. And it's did you see that leg? It just takes a long time for it to go in, right? Like, like it looks like he's kicking it in slow motion, but it's like it's so powerful. Like it's a gigantic weapon. It's a can of like, and I don't know if he actually is slow in the windup or if it just looks like that because of the way he plays the game. But it was beautiful for him, beautiful for him to get that goal and set the tone for the match. It's one of those really satisfying uh, goals when I think it has to do with like where it hits and like the the tension cables on there like it made a sound when it hit the net like it's always super satisfying when it sounds like you like hurt the goal by hitting it so hard <laughs> yeah so uh, you know one before we go on because you mentioned this so last year we took a lot of short corners and they were super annoying um and i know a lot of people were frustrated by it but i feel like they weren't cornered like they weren't with purpose there's like we didn't have any ideas and so we sort of take the short corner and pass the ball around. But we've seen more of that this year, later this year than earlier in the year. Is that right? Or it seems like it at least. It's, they seem to be, I think as the year has gone on, it looks like they've been just adding in more set piece, like just set plays into their set piece rotation. And we've heard them talk about it. We've heard them say Preston Burpo is kind of taking charge as the as the set piece coach. And I think they take it really seriously. They've scored a lot of goals from set pieces or like the second phase of set pieces where we play it in and it gets headed out and we recycle it and put it back in. Like we scored a lot of goals from that stuff. And so they are taking it seriously. And I think um, like that work has been paying off and it shows in, in moments like this. Um, but going back to Musa, uh, just really effective in hold up play being kind of a focal point in the final third, where as we get into that finishing shape, we can just play it into his feet really hard and know it's going to stick and he can either play it to someone or dribble out of pressure and kind of recycle it himself. But, uh, and then also effective in the defensive shape, like we weren't pressing as much, but he still did a good job of kind of keeping, keeping the defensive midfielder in his cover shadow. If he ever did step out. And then whenever we did press, which is generally, I think on goal kicks and then 
if they ever played it back on the ground, we would maybe follow them up and press then. But it was like very much picking our spots when we were pressing. But whenever we were in those moments, um, I thought GTA looked good again. And so there, there's one moment where I think it's late in the first half. Imatumasi, there's like a, a ball gets played in deep. And Jite's kind of out over in the corner and gets on the ball. And Trumasi throws, like sprinting, throws his whole body weight into Jite. And it barely moves him. Jite holds him off and kind of plays keep away with him, finally turns and is able to release it to Fagundes. But whenever you're playing a little bit deeper and playing a bit more directly, having a physical presence in the game like that makes a really big difference. And and Jite did make a really big difference in this game. Yeah, he did. And... (laughs) You're right. It's, he's like a no center back. Well, I mean, I, none of the center backs at Dallas have are going to be able to shove him off of anything. And he had, so he completed eight to nine passes. Um, I think he won. I think he won more than half of his duels. I mean, he just had a good, solid match overall. And he surprises me with the dribble a little bit still sometimes. Like it doesn't seem like a man that that big and thick should be able to dribble the way that he can. But he can dribble out of pressure when he needs to. Yeah, he really can. Um, second goal comes, I think, two or three minutes after this, uh, and. It comes as a direct result of kind of the defensive shape that Austin, or the offensive shape that Austin is in with those two deeper lying midfielders. And so I think it, the ball like kind of gets thumped long back and forth a couple of times uh, and it finds Velasco in the midfield. And because we have our midfield line set a little bit deeper, he kind of runs into a dead end. And as he's retreating, takes a heavy touch and Drew is able to pounce on it and is off to the races against Dallas's back line and it's Driussi, Fagundes, and Jite all sprinting directly at them. And so Fagundes is kind of in space off to the left, but Matt Hedges does a good job of kind of like keeping an angle there to where he would have had to play it behind Fagundes, who had Tumasi kind of trailing him. So it looked like it was on, but I think it would have been kind of a risky pass to make. Musa Jite is running just right up the gut and he's going to be like... as he runs in behind, he knows he's going to take defenders with him because Drusi can kind of make that little slip ball in behind. And so he does that. It looks like the counterintuitive thing to do, but the I think the fullback follows Jite in. Martinez is kind of like angling Drusi and like kind of trying to force him inside. And so Jite cuts outside and kind of forces Martinez to, to open up at an awkward angle and is able to push past him. And then he hits it back across the goal and it's like he, he has to hit it with enough accuracy to thread the needle through three defenders and Musajite who are all standing in the box, but also hit it strong enough to beat Martin Paz, the goalkeeper on the back post. And he does both of those things. And it's, this is another one of those moments that like it, if you just watch it once, you're like, Oh, that was a pretty good goal. But if you just like watch it in slow motion, pause every moment, every single second of this of this play is super impressive and just is a clear depiction of how good Sebastian Drusi is. He, he absolutely is. And just because we can't go a show without talking about X-Goal, this is a .06 attempt on X-Goal. And I, <laughs> like, as soon as that ball left his foot, I think the whole stadium knew it was going to go in and erupted. Like, it's just, that's the guy, the guy's amazing. That's what, that the guy outperforms X-Goal because he's, that damn good. What makes it even better is when he steals that ball off of Velasco and Velasco is like, I think trying to do a little professional foul and like kind of bring like hit him from behind. And 
as Juicy's controlling the ball, he also does like a full on Heisman stiff arm and just drops uh, Velasco to the ground as he then pushes forward and, and continues on to make the rest of Velasco's teammates look like fools. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. And then the MVP chance went up from all over uh, as they should. And th- this game, it was it was juicy on full display, wasn't it? Like this was the best of of what he's able to do. He did everything on every part of the pitch. So he's doing number 10 stuff, kind of directing plays, uh, playmaking. He was doing striker stuff, like the second striker stuff where he's getting into the box and finishing chances and, and, and being dangerous up there. Also playing defense, winning balls. And it just like, I feel like sometimes he just like decides like, I'm going to make a statement. And did, did I tell the, the story about, about trying to make a joke to him in the locker no. room on the show? I don't think so. We talked anyway, about talking to him in the locker room, but I don't think you. I don't think you mentioned that. Uh, I do remember this joke, but go ahead. I tried to make a joke to Drewsy while we were in the locker room waiting for the Queen of the Netherlands to come in, and I asked Drewsy in Spanish, like, "Hey, how's your Dutch?" And he like didn't understand me at first, and I had to say it again, which is always great—a great setup for a joke if you have to repeat yourself. And then I said it again and he said, oh no, I'll speak to her in Spanish. She's from Argentina. And it just like, it, it was it, like the, the sense that I got was like, your joke was not funny and I'm not even going <laughs> to humor you with a chuckle because I did not think it was funny. And this is kind of the attitude I get from him on the field sometimes where it's like, no, you, you, I, I understand you're trying to like beat me in soccer, but you don't understand. I'm much better than you. Just stop. Like I'm much, much better than you. And I'm going to prove it over and over and over again tonight. And he just like the, the physicality of what he does sometimes is really impressive. Just throwing guys off of him, uh, as the, like, he'll kind of take a touch or even like position his body before he takes a touch sometime to like, to like withstand a hit from behind and then takes the ball and spins off of him. But he's just so impressive. Yeah, he is. I just, we've probably said this before multiple times, but whatever the scouting department saw in him to pull him in, like I can't imagine anybody thought that he was going to turn out to be this level of player. And he's just like the perfect player for this league. Um, and the way he plays is so intense. And we've talked about this before, the way he works when other designated players and stars don't necessarily work that way on both sides of the ball is, um, is amazing. And we should all take a moment to just soak that in. Cause you know, it's, I mean, it's transcendent in terms of what a guy can do for a club. So late on in the first half, I was on watching the, the rebroadcast earlier today on ESPN and they were cutting down to Jillian Sakovitz on the sideline and kind of getting bench reports from her. And one thing she said is that the Dallas bench was like complaining because they were having a hard time communicating to each other because of how loud it was in the stadium. And around that time (laughs) in the stadium, Ashley gets like an alert on her watch and she lifts it up and she apparently has Los Verdes Slack notifications turned on on her Apple watch. And she showed it to me and it was like an at channel. So pinging an important announcement. So pinging like thousands of people and Rigo had Rigo Rodriguez had taken a screenshot of a tweet from Jillian Sakovitz's report saying that the Dallas bench was complaining about this and sent it to all of Los Verdes saying, keep effing going. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, they did. Everybody did. 
the most Rego thing in the world, firstly, but uh, also amazing and like super motivating. And like, uh, yeah, the, the South End did not let up. Yeah, we got some, uh, was it, uh, the, uh, was it Alexis from the Cooligans that talked about how, you know, we can never have enough Pepys, whatever's yeah. <laughs> going on. And, and we got a lot of it and it was as loud as it's ever been too. So Austin's able to kind of see out the first half. FC Dallas makes a change at halftime. So they bring on Frank O'Hara and take off uh, midfielder Cervania and they move Jesus Ferreira back into the midfield. I imagine to A, to give O'Hara to be kind of more of a, a big target striker up front, which they were able to actually use him fairly effectively to that regard. And also to move Ferreira back to get him more touches on the ball. And so Austin almost immediately start looking a little bit shaky coming out of the first half, looking like they might start to lose their composure a little bit. Uh, and then I think probably about 10 or 15 minutes into that first half, Austin really started to maybe concede possession and space like a little bit too easily. I remember thinking around like the 60th minute, like it's way too early to be looking like this. Like we can't, we can't turn this into an, an RSL game where we just sit super deep. And there were times where we were sitting super deep and then just launching it long. And then they would come back and do it again. And so, um, Cascante gets forced into a yellow card tackle on a Velasco breakaway. And there are a few other chances and just getting more touches in the box, even if they weren't deadly chances, they were getting into more dangerous positions than they were in the first half. And so, so like, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say that's that's I was gonna talk about this. That's the subs happen around then too, right? For both clubs. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh Pomacol and Nanu come in for Dallas, and then you figured this was gonna happen about the time. It seems like this happens about the same a point in every game, or Aruti and Rigoni come in for Gita and Finley. Yeah, so Gita had went down in the first half and had to be kind of stretched out and weren't, weren't sure how long he was going to go. So ends up making a little longer than maybe we expected him to. Uh, but this seemed like a perfect sub in the moment, right? Like get Maxi on to run his little heart out and just make it even harder for Dallas to do anything. Um, and I want to talk about Rigoni more in a little bit, but in this little stretch, we, it was, I was getting very nervous as, in the moments leading up to Dallas's goal. And then they finally did get that goal in the 65th minute. So we are playing pretty deep and they end up pulling us out of shape just by moving the ball around. And I think Cascante ends up having to rotate over and follow someone way out onto the wing and they put a ball into the box and it kind of, we have a few missed, misplaced touches and a few lost challenges and it ends up with the ball, uh, on Velasco's foot in the box and he buries it just one-on-one with Stuver didn't really have a chance. But, um, after that goal, Austin did kind of start to regain their composure and started keeping the ball a little bit more. They started to get Rigoni involved a little bit more. And I thought Rigoni looked really, really good while he was on the field. Yeah, I did too. I feel like that we saw a lot of the promise. We saw the talent and we saw him sort of, it seems like he was getting into the system and getting the way that we were playing a little bit more so, and able to do these individual Rigoni things that he brings to the club in a different way than like what Ethan Finley offers, which made him a really good change of pace in order to be able to, to shift the game a little bit. And that's, I guess, a good thing about where we are now substitution-wise is we have guys who can make a difference, right? We have options. You know, Both our strikers bring different options. The right wings bring di- different options. The 
defensive mids bring different options and different ways to play, and that's definitely a position that Austin wasn't in last year, and it's contributed to the success that we're having so far. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to your point, I think it what Rigoni was doing, it wasn't just like, oh, he's very talented, but he's very talented and he's doing it in a way that fits the flow of what everyone else on the field is doing. And it led to some dangerous moments. I think Fagundes gets a really dangerous shot off that Paz makes a really nice save on. And then later on, he puts in another cross uh, that I can't remember who it ends up with, but it gets another shot in the box uh, just based pretty much on how good his cross was. Uh, but yeah, really good game from him overall. Um, Austin gains back a little bit of the composure, starts to control the game a little bit better, but is still giving up chances here and there. And it's kind of up and down at times. There's a lot of running in this portion of the game. And so 84th minute comes and it's time for subs to come on. Uh, Owen Wolf and Felipe come on for Fagundes and Pereira. Diego Fagundes was not happy to see his number get called. This didn't make the broadcast, but he was standing over on the the near sideline for us, and he starts wa- like wagging his finger at the sideline, like, no, 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 you're not taking me off, no. <laughs> and then as Owen starts running on, he's like, okay, too late, and then he walks off and, and gives up, but he was and not he, very happy. He took the long way around, too. Like, he came off the field the side and like took the long slow walk around the north end on the outside and like the game yeah. was going on before he got off he was yeah he did not seem super thrilled about that I mean what did you think about that I thought that was a surprising substitution the other one makes total sense but I, I don't know about this both of them felt risky to me actually um okay I, like the the pros of this switch is you get fresh legs uh fresh aggressive legs who will get physical will make Dallas work really hard. They'll track back the, they're going to put in the work. Like, you know, that you're going to get that from Owen and Felipe, but you also give up some ball security and that press resistance that Danny and Diego do. And they're probably our two best players at that. Um, at like outside of juicy, cause Juicy's the best player at everything, but <laughs> yes. just like we were getting pinned back and we're finally starting to kind of push out of it and control the ball a little bit more. And then you bring on two guys who are nowhere near as good at that kind of stuff. And it made me really nervous. Um, Another thing to factor in is Dallas had put on Hader Obreon at right back. Uh, Austin fans will remember he's, he's a winger and in most of the games we played them last year, a really pacey little winger. And they had him playing right back is just like throw everything up at him, And there's one moment where a ball gets played in. I don't know if it's like a recycled corner or something, but everyone's in the box. Gallagher is pinched in because of how many numbers they have in the box. And Owen Wolf is with Obreon. Obreon floats off his back shoulder and Wolf does not track him. It leads to Obreon getting an open header on the back post, forces a fantastic Brad Stuver save with his foot, like in the 87th, 88th minute, somewhere around there. But this is a thing that like you would... You would bet on Diego to track that run and mark that guy, whereas Wolf did not track it and did not mark him, and it almost cost us really big. Yeah, that was a really that was a really nervy moment. What I, what I was going to add is that Felipe, you do get elite level housing, which is something they that's need. right. <laughs> if you if Within you want to like, look at his positive and negatives, yes. <laughs> Within a minute, he's squatting down, uh, quote unquote, injured for a moment, wasting some time. <laughs> Yeah, and I loved it. The, the corners that were in our that were in our end because they were playing at the south end in the second half. You know, he was very good about making sure that the ball took as long as possible to make it over the corner, including like 
maybe you know knocking it the other way and whatever. So that's that, that's the upside of it. It's probably um, the danger is probably greater than that. So what what substitutions maybe? I think we probably agree we needed him at that moment. Like what what else would you have done? I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily like other players I would have put on. <laughs> I think. Because, like, if you look at it, really, there's no one else to put on in the moment. And so I think the alternative is leave both of those guys on there for three or four more minutes and then make that sub. Um, Because if I think it's 84th minute, so we still played nine or ten minutes after that. And so if Dallas scores a goal in those nine or ten minutes and we have to go into extra time, with Felipe and Owen Wolf on the field, like I don't think we're going to score a goal with those guys on the field. Like I do, they don't, it doesn't give me confidence. <laughs> and so I just think maybe the timing was risky rather than the options. But I, I do like those would be my guys to put on to kill out a game for four or five minutes. But it's, I mean, it's a risk. Like I don't, I don't know that it, it showed it, it worked right. And so I don't think we can say it was the wrong choice. It just made me a little nervous, is all. So they they saw it out. I think that Obreon attempt was was pretty decent that was basically it right that was like the only that was the only the the last like super dangerous one they did get in and around the box uh Ferreira had a free kick pretty late that he sky he ends up skying over the top of the bar um but they were still getting in some dangerous moments but Austin did a good job of uh of keeping pressure going the other way and kind of killing off the clock um Maxi steals a ball and sprints to the corner pretty late on it gets taken off of him. They're start they they're pushing back up and play a long ball in, and Gallagher kind of steals it and clears it deep into their territory. And that was kind of the end of the game at that point. Able to see it out. Game over, two one, Austin wins. Yeah, and now and Austin will go to LA. Are there any are there any players that you you want to talk about that we didn't cover uh during the match? I think Alex Ring had a strong game, and I don't I don't know that it showed up necessarily in the stat sheets or anything, you know, and obviously he didn't have a goal or assist, but I thought He's taken some criticism. I thought he played really well, like in knowing his, knowing where to be and connecting on balls. And like you talked about, that triangle really seeming seeming to understand how to play uh, off of Jerusi and and help make him better. I thought he I thought he had a good outing. Yeah, it, just an excellent connector in this game. Um, playing, like I said earlier, playing out of the press, like being available there, and then as he would receive the ball in the middle of the field, would turn and switch it really well. So just like keeping the ball moving, keeping the system kind of ticking. Alex Ring did a lot of really good stuff in this game. Uh, he was great. I tweeted before the game that Danny Pereira needs to show up big today. And if he doesn't, like it might not go well for us. And I thought he he did. He showed up confident, playing really well, um, playing boldly but smartly at the same time doing like little one two touches and flick ons with with Drusi and Fagundes in the midfield there to kind of keep the ball clear it was just like it's it's the best version of Danny Pereira is what we got uh in this game yeah I think the game I've got this found this Taylor Twelman quote from yesterday I think that was a pretty good summary of the game that said to the fans of Austin FC thank you some memorable experience to say the least. The players and coaches made the right adjustments from last week and the performance showed MLS is better with you in it and thriving, which I thought was a really great quote from a guy that's seen, you know, Austin a lot over the last few weeks. And I think that really summed up the way Austin played and uh, and the way the fans showed up and made for an exciting match next week. Yeah. Um, anything else we want to cover about this in Jeremiah? 
let's uh no let's go ahead and take a break and then we will look forward to what we have coming I, up with la and possibly do, down the road i do actually want to mention one thing so okay. uh copa tejas the actual trophy was there and alex ring carried it across the field got to give it to to members of la morga in the center capo stand there and guess who they am- immediately turned and looked towards and started taunting with is the FC Dallas fans in that far corner. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to let us celebrate it with it in your stadium, but you're damn sure going to watch us celebrate, celebrate with it in our stadium. <laughs> yeah, we will do it here. It was cool. So I think it was Ray uh, Costello that handed it to him yeah. uh, off, this, off the stand and he walked around with it. That was cool to see. The post game was, yeah, this is maybe more swing tower content, but like all the little kids running oh, around. Oh, yes. They were adorable. And in, in like, and I love that the group of little kids that just didn't care about the moment and they're just like playing soccer. Yeah. Like yeah this, players, this kids new, are on the field. New tradition of uh, Felipe pretending to miss penalty shots from all the little kids on the field. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to love about Felipe and that is a part of it for sure. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. We can now go to the break. We will be right back. We're going to cover, I think, maybe just one piece of Austin FC news and then we're going to spend the rest of the show on previewing this LAFC match. We'll be right back. Hang tight. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, Texas, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And who is not in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, Texas? Everybody. You know, everybody knows somebody who is. I guess maybe not everybody is looking to buy or sell a house right now, but everybody knows somebody who is looking to buy or sell a house right now. So make sure, refer them to Sage Wilson Property Group and send them to sagewilson.com. And as always, Mutar Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. And they're obviously supporters of this show. And we love that. But they, I mean, they are really are all over the place with the Austin FC matches too, right? You see them on the ribbon boards. You see their videos. And we were talking with somebody, weren't we, before the match about... Was it during the match about the FEF video? I think it was before. Yeah, it, would have been, it was when we were in the stadium, but before the match. But that's, that's a really cool video that they show on the big board um, before we match. So we appreciate them and everything that they stand for. You can go to fvf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. And once again, support for Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Manscaped. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And you can also get 20% off and free shipping with the code Verde at manscaped.com. I love giving you the opportunity to read that line since I've done it the first two matches. <laughs> I felt bad taking it from you. I don't know. I don't feel like you had the joy that I usually have with it. So <laughs> so here's my Manscaped story. So I, I went to Las Vegas last week for a conference, and I, as one, because I, well, I was presenting, so I wanted to make sure that like right, the beard was trimmed up right. I didn't have any like weird stray ear or nose hairs or anything like that. But as one will, I was running late to the airport, and... Uh, but managed to luckily, thanks to the travel kit, was like grab my bag with my lawnmower, my weed whacker, threw it in my suitcase, and we were able to make it to the airport on time. And I looked amazing at the conference. And then the other thing I would add is that I have now worn my Manscaped boxers that came with a free set the last two matches. So these are now my lucky soccer boxers. So if anybody out there has, you know, wants to bring <laughs> a little more love to Austin FC for L- against LAFC next week, wear your Manscaped boxers. 
If you would like to look and feel as good as Jeremiah does, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code Verde at manscaped.com. And that that 20% off, we kind of tested this on the website, Jeremiah, and it works on anything, right? Yeah, it's not necessarily the kit that we've talked about before, but it is anything that you want to buy on the site, you can get that discount on. Yeah, so unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, we are back. We have one little piece of Austin FC news to cover this week. There's not a lot of news going on outside of the games right now, um, but this did pop up on my Twitter timeline today where Dio Fagundes has uh, signed with a new agency, the DV7 Management Group. So Landon, why would somebody? Why would a, a uh, sports agency be called the DV7 Management Group? That seems very random. Uh, yeah, so I was looking on their website, and it's David Villa's agency i guess it shows him as a client but also lists him as the president and founder um but yeah diego fagundes has famously been managed by uh by his father and his father's been his agent for his whole career i think and it looks like he's now getting a professional agent and so looking at this as austin fc fans I think you can, I don't know, like what, what can we take away from this? What does this mean for Diego Fagundes and his, his future? Well, my natural reaction, well, I guess two things. My first natural reaction is like, this is a weird time to announce this during the season in the middle of a playoff run. Um, but it worries me a little bit more than anything else. Like we know Diego's probably not on as much money as he might earn in the open market. He's done a lot over the last couple of years to show maybe that he should be a little more highly paid. And so like going to a firm that has multiple clients in multiple leagues across the world is seems like something that might be a little bit of a cause for concern. Yeah. I like looking at this, I think it doesn't necessarily mean that he's trying to leave. I think that might be a conclusion. Some people might jump to what I think it does mean is that he's willing to leave um, mainly in this situation where Austin FC doesn't want to pay him. And so I think you're probably in a better negotiating position if you have uh, experienced seasoned agents who know how to get their clients the best that they can. I'm sure having your father as an agent is probably great in a lot of scenarios because you never have to doubt whether or not they have your best interests uh, at heart. You always know that's going to be the case when your dad's your agent, right? But they might not have the experience or uh, the know-how to actually get the most out of your next contract. And so I think to me, this just from what we know about Diego, what we've read and heard about kind of his situation is I think he's just looking to make sure he gets the best contract he can in this next negotiations. And whether that's in Austin or somewhere else, he's going to make sure he gets the money that he deserves at this point. Yeah, I would add to that. I guess we have every reason to believe that if the if it's competitive in Austin, like if the author if the Austin offer is competitive that he's like established enough ground and roots here that he would be happy to stay, but he's not going to like take half or that he he could make somewhere else or something like that like that or in order just to stay in Austin. So it's not maybe as alarming as it could be, but I think I think it's a preference to stay here, but yeah, I mean the guys you're only a pro athlete for so long, and he's been doing this for a long time, even at a young age. So, like, I can understand how he wants to make sure that he gets his best possible. Yeah. So, uh, maybe we should wait until off season to talk about this. But like, 
how much do you think it's going to take? Like, I, I think this is the thing that some people have said, like that he needs DP money. And I honestly don't think it would take DP money to keep him here. I don't, I don't think so either. I think given his long history, cause there's not a lot, this is, this is an off season topic, but I mean, there's not <laughs> a lot of like career MLS domestic players on DP money. If I remember right, that have never gone somewhere else. I mean, it's, that's fairly rare. And given his age right now, like, I don't think it's that, but I think it's significantly more than he makes right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that is all the Austin FC news we have. So should we jump into previewing the biggest game in the history of Austin FC? Yes, let's talk about that. Just like (laughs) the the one before was, and just like the one before was, let's talk about it. Yeah. So this one is going to be at Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles at 2.18 p.m. Central Time on Sunday, October 30th. And this is going to be on ABC. Um, I, I'm guessing since it's on ABC, we're going to get champion and 12 men again. I don't know if that's w- been announced, but I would assume so. Yeah, I would assume so too. So that, that he, those guys are going to be really familiar with Austin FC by the time, by the time we get to the end of this playoff run. Yeah. So uh, let's, you want to tell us a little bit about the last couple of matches? Yeah. So we played twice this year. Uh, Austin actually has won both of them. Uh, the most recent one being 4-1 on August 26th at home. Remember, this This is like probably the high point of the season or one of the high points of the season, I feel like, because we've been on a little, bit of a, a little bit of a slump and came out and just crushed him, especially in the first half. Um, and then we had a slightly inebriated interview with Mayor Adler after that, that <laughs> from Hop Squad, which we were happy to do again, I think at, at any point in time, if he wants to come back on, from Hop Squad at least. Uh, and then earlier in the year, I think this is one of the first times that people thought Austin might be for real. This might be when Austin got past this sort of bonus game stigma among the league media as a whole. That was on May 18th. We won 2-1 in Los Angeles. Um, and Oh, this is the one where we had that amazing Driussi Rabona assist that my friend Chris Beck shot and shared with yeah. us, which is the greatest most successful tweet that we've ever that we've ever gotten. <laughs> so again, thanks to thanks to you for Chris Beck on that. But let's talk about those were very two different formations, like two different lineups, two different ways of playing. And I don't know. Let's talk about how those happen, and then maybe what we expect that we might want to see um, out of Austin coming up. Yeah. So very different approaches to these two games. I think the one earlier in the season, the two one game in LA, is. Last week when I was talking about when we maybe played a double pivot at times, I think this might have been one of those games. Uh, We started Jan Valencia and Alex Ring in the midfield. And I don't remember if... Do you remember if Danny Pereira was available for this game? Was he not chosen or was he not available? Yeah, he picked up that red uh, in the 47th minute the week before against RSL. So that's the game where he picked up that red and we were wondering about whether like his card total to reset like we knew he's going to be suspended yeah so he was unavailable for that one um maybe that led to the more defensive look that austin gave but it was like probably the closest or the most similar to the game that we played against dallas in this most recent one the second game the one at home at q2 austin just came out and played their game and just thumped lafc i think that was one after that game, we were talking about how Austin like out dogged LAFC. Like LAFC wasn't working hard to win balls, wasn't working hard to press us. 
and we punished them for it. So it's like a combination of them not doing good enough and us having a really good game and, and it showing on the scoreboard. As far as what we're going to see from this game, it's, it's not only different tactically. I think we'll probably see something different tactically, but also the teams are going to look pretty different. So in that away game, we started, um, I think Owen Kolmanich, yeah. Valencia. Owen Wolf got a start. Owen Wolf wasn't like that was this the stretch where Owen Wolf was starting quite a few games. And then looking at LAFC's lineup, they've changed quite a bit too. Um Chicho Arango started in that second game. He did not start in the first game. But then looking at the guys they have available now, like who they played against LA Galaxy the other day and who played against us, there's some different names on that roster as well. And the ones that I think make a difference are, are not named Gareth Bale. <laughs> it's or, guys or, like or Chiellini. Yeah. I, I mean, Chiellini honestly is, is good, but he, they don't need him right now. Uh, Eddie Segura and Jesus Murillo have kind of been their guys right now. And so, and they've been really good. Um, Denis Buanga, the new uh, forward that's been playing on the left wing for them, has been really good. Chicho Arango has been in excellent form. Vela has been healthy and playing quite a bit. And so uh, they look – it's going to be a different team than what we played. And so because of that, although you talk about that first game being when people started taking Austin seriously and we like played a bit more defensively, played a bit more reserved, hit them on the counterattack – we did some really good stuff in that game, but I think if we play that game against this LAFC, we don't win it. I think they have more players that can punish us for the mistakes that we made. Brad Stuver had a hell of a game in that game. And so I think we're not always going to get so lucky in a game like that. And so looking at like what we just did against Dallas, the, the performance of these players who would who would you want to see Austin put out on the field against LAFC in this game? I think compared to as compared to the match yesterday, I would keep Gite in the lineup. I would keep I, I don't know that Danny versus Valencia is really like a best 11 choice since I think the most interesting selection is on the right wing and I think Ragoni gave us enough last time when you're going you're when you're going up against a team that is, at least on paper and probably in every sense of reality, the more talented club, like you want people who can make a difference. And I feel like Rigoni brings something that nobody else brings. And so I would start him because I think he has the potential to create something maybe out of nothing in the way that Finley doesn't necessarily have that will lead us to be able to beat a better team on the road. Yeah, I, I think we've, since he got here, since before he even got to Austin, we've believed that he is a more talented player than Ethan Finley. And this game against Dallas was the first time where he maybe put out a performance that we thought was actually better, maybe better than what Ethan Finley could give us. I thought Finley was actually pretty good in the game against Dallas the other day. Um, And so I think it is a question. I kind of think I'd almost rather still, still see Finley just because it is so new. It's one performance, really, that that Rigoni's looked pretty good in. Um, and he's getting better every time. But I don't know. It makes me nervous to, like, to change something up like that when Finley has been pretty good and 
like Rigoni's look good coming off the bench. Like we're still going to need bench, like people coming off the bench. And so I think I'd still rather see Finley for 60, 65 and then Rigoni to finish the game out. But and who, who, who I, would I you play the other positions? Who would you play it like a striker? I want to keep Jite going. Um, he was so good in that game. He's going to be on, on good rest still. So I want to see Jite for 65 or as long as he can give us and then put Maxi on for the rest of it. Uh, and then I want to see Danny Prayer at the six. Um, the rest of the lineup, I want to see exactly the same. And as far as tactics go, I honestly, I think we should roll out pretty much the same game plan that we just did against FC Dallas. Um, on the spectrum of of tactical styles, LAFC and FC Dallas are not so far different from each other. I think LAFC, for multiple reasons, A, because they're a better team and have better players, but also they just watched us do it against Dallas, and they're going to be talking about it this week, saying like, hey, they might come out against us like this, so let's prepare for it. I think for both of those reasons that LAFC will do better against it than what what uh, Dallas did, but I don't think that means it can't work. And so I, if we go toe-to-toe with LAFC trying to beat them at their own game, it did work in that game against uh, that last game at Q2 against them, but I think they're going to be up for this one. They didn't really seem to be up for that one, and I don't think that's going to be the case in this one. They're not going to have Gareth Bale out there halfway trying. Um, I'd be honestly be surprised if he touches the field in this game just because they don't need him. They've got other guys who have looked really good and will work really hard and are healthy, and they don't need Gareth Bale. And so I think the fight is going to be there. And so it would worry me to kind of try to go toe-to-toe with them and be stubborn about playing our game against them when we do kind of have this backup plan that just worked against a team that's somewhat similar stylistically. Do you think there's anything that uh, Austin learned out of the LAFC versus LA Galaxy match that would apply to to this week that maybe we didn't that we didn't know? I mean, they they played a pretty straightforward game. I don't I don't know what yeah. it would be. I mean, I think what you might learn is um, if you mess up, you're going to get punished. <laughs> yes, that definitely happened to the Galaxy, and that Denny Vuongo is really good. Yeah, that is true too. That's that was a little. I don't know. I don't know. I hadn't seen that much of him before, um, and. He looked really good uh, in, in that one for sure. Um, so for you, when we're rolling out there in the first like ten minutes or whatever in Los Angeles, like what are your like what are your keys to to seeing like is this going to be a good day or bad day for Austin FC? Like are there things you're going to look for? Are there sort of the way we're playing or anything like that? You know, do we just have to rely on Brad Stuver being magical again? Like what what is it going to take for you? to see on the field to think like this might be Austin's day. I think we're going to need it all. Like if, if LAFC is continues the, like the game that they played against the galaxy, we need Stuber to have a good day. We need Danny Pereira to have a good day, uh, controlling the tempo in the midfield and keeping the ball and keeping the ball moving. We need Alex ring to have a good day, uh, being a connector in the attack and then also working back and helping Danny kill transition moments. Cause LAFC will punish you in transition. Um, which is why I think we should maybe play a little deeper against them and not give them that opportunity. They're also very good with the ball. And so if we let them have the ball, they can hurt us that way too. But that's like a little more controllable, I think. Whereas 
if they get us in transition, that just ends up being, is this player better than this player? And if we get like their attackers one-on-one with our defenders, I don't know that it's always going to go very well for us. Yeah. That's where you get to like our, right. Like our guys just don't talent wise match up necessarily if they get put in bad spots to be able to line up against that. Yeah. In short, I think if we can defend as a team, make smart decisions in, uh, in defending and then also smart decisions in attacking where like we're not exposing ourselves too much. And as we give up the ball, we are in good positions to get back and to stop them from transitioning. I think that's what needs to happen. They can be scored on. We've scored goals on LAFC. Other teams have done it. They don't give up a ton of goals, but we've shown that we can score goals on them. Um, but I think we need to try to limit the amount of goals that they can score because as they showed against LA galaxy the other day, they gave up goals, but they're just going to score more than you if that happens. And so uh, it it needs to be a, a, just an all around solid performance. Like we saw against FC Dallas the other day. Yeah. And one other thing to compare back to LA galaxy matches, it can happen at any point in time too. So like even with a lead, any lead, I don't think anybody's going to feel very safe about that because LFC can make things happen whenever and wherever. And I guess Drewsy's just going to have to go do like a Drewsy thing too. That's probably the one thing that'll that'll make a difference because I don't think there's anybody in the league that can contend with him when he has his magic moments. Yeah. So in the Eastern Conference Final, it's Philadelphia versus NYCFC. And so what are the scenarios in which Austin can play in MLS Cup and in that they can play an MLS cup at home. <laughs> yeah, there's so there's only one scenario where we can play in the MLS, in MLS cup at home. And we didn't talk about it last week because there were many scenarios, many, there were multiple scenarios coming out of last week. The only one that would have resulted in Austin playing at home was for NYFC, NYCFC to make the final against Austin, which seemed somewhat unlikely. But now with the way things broke last week, there's a possibility of that. So the only way that Austin plays at home is if we win, obviously, and in NYCFC beats Philadelphia. And the one of the things I saw today is like for the good of the league, that means there will be no more baseball stadiums yeah. involved in any MLS matches, whether it be Yankee Stadium or um, wherever the Mets play. I don't remember what the, the name Field? of the stadium is. is City, City Field, Field sounds right. Yeah, so um, if Austin and NYCFC win, then we'll play in Austin. If Austin and Philadelphia win, we will play in Chester, Pennsylvania. And it's... <laughs> yeah. Close to Philly, close to Philly, and it's really expensive to get there. Not that I was like shopping for tickets online <laughs> last night or anything. Uh, and then talking about other future scenarios, we are also now at a point where th- if any of three of the four remaining teams win MLS Cup, Austin will qualify for Concacaf Champions League next year, right? Yeah. So those teams are Austin, LAFC, and Philadelphia. If any of those three teams win, then Austin is in CCL. Uh, so the ideal scenario would be for NYCFC to make the final against Austin so we can play them at home. And then, of course, for us to beat them, A, so we're then MLS Cup champs, but also we guarantee the CCL placement next year. Yeah, so that that would be pretty amazing, especially given the season last year and how that, how that went. I think that these are the scenarios we're talking about is pretty incredible. So that final would be on November 5th at 3 p.m. on Fox. So I think we're done with uh, John Champion and Taylor Twelman this week, no matter what. 
So, Jeremiah, I think we should maybe take a moment here to just like reflect on what is actually happening now, because I don't know that it's fully sunk in that Austin is in the final four of the league. Like they're in the semifinal of the whole league, one game away from making the MLS Cup final. Looking back at last year where we finished second to last in the West, like this is amazing. It's like pretty hard to believe and pretty amazing that we've gotten to witness this this year. It it is, and I think you know Adrian Healy told us this months ago when we interviewed him. And it's like no matter what happens, just like enjoy the ride. And I don't know that we if everybody always has, but to your point, I feel the sense of appreciation more this week in this moment. Maybe it was like just you know the first round of the playoffs was stressful, and it would be disappointing to not be there. But yeah, for there to be four teams left, and for Austin to be one of those four teams, and not only because of how bad we were last year, but you know like. The offseason was good, but we're talking about like Aruti, Finley, you know, as the additions. We're not at Felipe. We're not talking about like we brought in three brand new designated players who suddenly like changed, you know, set the world on fire or whatever. Like it's largely the same roster as we had last year, same coaching staff that we had last year, and just all the pieces that fit together. And I think one has to give one, whoever signed Sebastian Drew, credit for that, right? That's he's been transcendent. But then like Josh Wolf has had such a good year too and probably doesn't get as much recognition recognition as you should league wide for what this team has done like buying into that system and then, and him adding flexibility to the system and everything it's just it's very it's been a, a magical year all the way around yeah so i i am like very very pleased with this season at this point i really did not want to lose to dallas in the playoffs so it like made it extra sweet to get past this last round against them I'm probably going to catch some flack for saying this, but I'm not going to be that disappointed if we lose on Sunday, just because I'm like, I'm very pleased with, with where we're at. I guess one question is, do you feel that way? And the second question is, do you think the players feel that way? Here in my bedroom on Monday night, I can tell you that I feel that way. But when Sunday comes around, I will absolutely not feel that way at all. And I'm going to be every bit a bundle of nerves and no matter what happens, I'm going to be super frustrated if we lose. Um, I mean, it's, it's obviously been a good year, but you don't have these many opportunities, right? You don't have this many chances to be in the position Austin is in. Who knows how long it's going to be before we have the chance to may, maybe play an MLS Cup final at home. So with that, I would say like, there's, I would love to seize this moment and deliver on it because like it, who knows when this is going to happen again. Hopefully... The players will feel the same way. Like there's never gonna like roster wise and stuff, there's never, ever, ever gonna be this combination of players in this moment and this time that can make this happen for this city and for themselves. So I would imagine they're very motivated to go ahead and see this thing through. And the thing we haven't talked about is all the trash talk on this week, which I thought had reached its peak as far as uh players and now owners uh sort of banging on the national media about doubting Austin. <laughs> Including apparently Felipe laminating a card for Anthony Precourt that had all the preseason predictions, if I understand it correctly. And I love that Felipe owns a laminating machine or knows how to find one. <laughs> but I, mean, I think that's—I think it just shows the players are really still all into this and still believing this narrative and are not going to be satisfied until we reach the end. Yeah, it's a side note on that thing. Like I was shocked by how apparently offended people in the national media were by that. Like, it's so weird to me that they like take a, take it seriously and B get offended by it. Like you just told someone 
I think you're really bad at your job and expect them not to think like take that personally and like maybe throw it back in your face. Like it's <laughs> like, I think the members of the media who are taking offense of this should like maybe pump the brakes a little bit and realize like you, you said on like your very popular public plat- platform that I think you're going to fail. And I know that's your job and it's what you're supposed to do. And people should maybe go a little lighter on you, but you should also be prepared for when they don't take it easy on you and are like kind of upset by that statement. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Jeremiah? No, I, I, I'm happy to be doing another in-season show. Uh, we have a lot of exciting and fun things planned for the off-season, but we would like to keep the off-season at bay for as long as possible. So, you know, it's a great to preview this one. Hopefully, we'll have the chance to preview one more before this is all over. Yeah, here's the hoping. All right, well, before we wrap up, we would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and then come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVHero87. Jeremiah's at jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're at Moon Tower Soccer. On Wait, both. I have one more question before we do that. Saying, "Come find us." That reminds me, what are you going to do for the match? Are you are you are you going to a watch party? Yeah. So neither of us are going to go to LA, right? Right. Yeah. So I think a combination of like family, health, and financial reasons. <laughs> Jeremiah and I will be in Austin. I will. I don't think I could bear to just like be sitting at home watching it with a small group. So I think I almost think i have to go to the big watch party which seems like maybe it's going to be a hop squad i, I believe the same thing to be true so if you're looking so if we love connecting with people and we would love to find you in the physical form probably at hop squad on sunday and we would definitely tweet out where we're going to be um and let you know because it would be great like we love every time we get the chance to meet like listeners and talk soccer and all that stuff so hopefully we'll get at least one more week of that with everybody yeah people people walk up to us and act like they're going to bother us by by saying hi we're not, we're just a couple of ding dongs who talk about soccer. And also you make us look really cool in front of our friends whenever <laughs> yeah. you, you know who we are in public. So like, please come say hi. We always love getting to talk to people, getting to meet more people in the Austin FC community. So yes, come find us, say hello. Okay. Back to the housekeeping. Now, <laughs> now, finish the closing. Uh, find us on Patreon. You can, um, get some cool merch and then also force us to ask questions or get questions into players or Austin FC staff or whoever else we have interviews with. And then we also encourage you to visit the striker where you can get a 30% discount with the code moon tower 22 with a capital M Jeremiah. What should folks look out for there this week? Read the game reviews. I think uh, Chris wrote a pretty good article on the takeaways and some of the same stuff we talked about, but uh, there was a, 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 a great write-up on that match, and I expect there will be a ton because the striker is both in Austin and in Los Angeles. There will be a lot of great game week coverage, and you'll get some different perspective that you don't necessarily get elsewhere because they will have folks who know LAFC inside and out who will be writing uh, about the team. That's right. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the Western Conference Final and uh, hopefully preview the MLS Cup final with Austin as a part of that. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around Think for nothing, you never... La gente... Oh my God.